0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading we heard in the book of Ephesians. You may be seated. We begin with a word of prayer. Mighty Father, this is a day of great joy in our church as we celebrate so many things. First and foremost, we give you thanks that your Son, Jesus, has ascended to be the Lord of heaven and earth and to be our Lord who redeems us and forgives us of all of our sins. And on this day, Lord, as we uh, celebrate the confirmation of our students, we pray, Lord, that you would continue to work in their hearts and their minds, keep them in the one true faith, and sustain them along with all of us into life everlasting. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we've mentioned now, this is a truly joyful day here at Community Lutheran Church for for a number of reasons. Again, first and foremost, because we are celebrating the ascension of our Lord. Now, Ascension Day actually took place on Thursday, 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and we celebrate that uh, on that 40th day, which would have been Thursday, but none of you showed up for church, so we're doing it here uh, today. And so this is a very significant day in the life of Jesus and in the life of our church. The ascension of Jesus is just as significant as the other festivals that we celebrate, the other moments in Jesus' life. Like we have the incarnation where we, we celebrate at Christmas, right? And then, and, and then we have Good Friday where we commemorate the death of Jesus and then Easter where we celebrate that he is indeed risen from the grave. And the ascension is just as significant as all of those. In fact, the ascension is the point. It is the goal of all of that. To put Jesus, who is both our Lord and our brother in the flesh, on, our thron- on the throne to reunite heaven and earth. Now the difference in these festivals is this, that with all of those holidays, we look back on the things Jesus was doing. But when we talk about the ascension, we're not only focusing on that moment when he ascended, but we focus not on uh, just the past, but on the present. What he's doing among us now. And what is he doing? Well, he's reigning, and he's doing so by celebrating a victory. Jesus has conquered Satan. He's won the war with sin, death, and the devil, and we celebrate this today by receiving the spoils of war. He comes to us to give us the benefits and the gifts of all that he has accomplished. He gives us his word, the law, and the gospel. He gives us the sacraments where we we feast on His body and blood. We have baptism where we are are given salvation. We receive forgiveness, life, the presence of Jesus with us. Christ your Lord is your Redeemer and He reigns over you with love and with grace forever. Hallelujah. Happy ascension indeed. But now there's more. There's more to celebrate here today because on this Ascension Celebration Day, we are also confirming six students in the faith. In the next service, five of our students, and then if you go to San Marcos at one of the students over there, they're going to stand up in front of the church, and they're going to confirm the faith that they received in their baptism. They're going to stand up and proclaim before God and before you and before the world that they believe that Jesus Christ truly did rise again, that he is their God and he is their Lord. In fact, what we're going to witness in this confirmation is the continuation of what happens under the reign of Christ, what it looks like to live under the reign of Christ in this kingdom of God. This is exactly what Jesus said should be happening. Remember, just before he ascended, he gathered his disciples together. This is at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. And he says, listen, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Today, these six students who were made disciples of Jesus when they were baptized have now been taught the faith according to God's word and are going to stand up and confess that they believe in this word, that they believe in this Jesus. Again, hallelujah. Happy ascension indeed. It's on days like today where I find myself just so filled with joy. Joy over what the Lord is accomplishing in our our midst. In fact, I I really identify with Paul today in the reading we heard uh, from the book of Ephesians when he's reaching out to that church and he's celebrating the faith that he has heard that they have. He gives thanks for them. He is full of joy. This is what he says. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. It, It is a joyful thing to hear about the faith in the lives of those we have, we have invested in. I really do encourage you to stick around today, to, to wait to hear of the faith that these students have. I know you probably have more important things to do uh, than listen to children speak about their faith in Jesus. There's your guilty way of getting you to stay today. Uh, but the Lakers lost last night. Nuggets game isn't on. And so you can stick around and you can watch this. Because what you're going to see is the work of the Lord and that he is doing in the lives of these students. And, And we need something like this. Because a lot of us, we get really cynical when it comes to our youth. Like We look at the younger generations just as our parents' generation looked at us and just as their parents' generation looked at them. And we look at the youth and we say, oh, the world's falling apart. There's no hope in these youth. These youth don't have a leg to stand on. Oh, the youth are the problem. Oh, the youth have all the problems. And this is how we get so cynical about all of this. And then yet, the Lord Jesus today is is presenting to us six students where he says, okay, say what you will about the youth, but I baptized these youth, the Lord Jesus said. And I have brought them from Satan to the Father, from sin to forgiveness, and from death to life. Jesus is saying, be cynical. You may be cynical, but I reign over them with love and mercy, just as I reign over you, says Jesus, with my love and my mercy. And it is a love and it is a mercy that never ceases. And that's what I want us to think about today. As we celebrate the ascension and we think about this confirmation, uh, the never-ceasing love of Jesus Christ. Paul recognized that the love of Jesus never ceased because he speaks this way about his prayers. He says to the Ephesians, I never cease to pray for you. I never cease to give thanks to God for you. And he knows he doesn't have to cease doing it because he has a God, he has a Lord in Jesus who is ceaselessly listening and constantly loving his own church. This is how he says he prays for them, ceaselessly. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ might give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. It's a beautiful a prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians, a prayer I encourage you today to pray for our confirmation students. But to me, in a certain sense, it is also a curious prayer. Because Paul is praying for them to to grow in their revelation, to grow in their knowledge, to grow in their faith, to grow in their love and all of these things. And you sit back for a second and you say, why is Paul praying for things that in a sense they've already got? I mean, they already have these things. Usually we think about prayers going to God and asking Him for something that we don't have. But these Ephesians, just like you and I, already had forgiveness and life and salvation. They already had the inheritance. In fact, if we had read just a few verses earlier, we would have read this, where Paul says, In Jesus, you, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In, in baptism, you were given the Holy Spirit, who was the seal of your salvation. You were given the forgiveness of your sins, the promise of everlasting life. All of these things were given to you by grace alone on account of Jesus Christ. And so the question is, why pray for more of that when you already have? Well, I think Paul prays this for the Ephesians, just as you and I ought to pray this for one another as well as for our confirmation students. He prays this because he knows that though Jesus has them, Satan is not far behind. He knows the trials and temptations that come the way of those who have faith. He knows that Satan hates those whom Jesus Christ loves. And so though we celebrate today with these students, we also know by our own experiences the trials and the temptations that come our way, that will come their way even after they are confirmed in the faith. The devil is on the prowl looking for someone to devour, and he wants to devour those who have faith in Jesus Christ. He comes to attack our faith. And he does this in many and various ways. But there's really one place I want us to focus in on today, and I I want us to think about this particular temptation that the devil has for us, that he uses to try and draw us away from our faith in Jesus Christ. And I think that the devil works very hard at this. In fact, I I think we see him working very hard at this in our world right now. The devil works very hard to take us away from Jesus by getting us to stop thinking we need the forgiveness of our sin. The devil wants to take us away from the word of forgiveness. He wants us to not think we need to be forgiven. And I think he does this, and we're going to look at this here now, in, in three ways. I think the devil tries to take us away from forgiveness in three ways. The first way is this, is he tells us we don't need it. He appeals to our pride. He says, you're not that bad of a sinner. You don't need to be forgiven. In fact, this is what we see taking place everywhere in our world right now. We live in a world right now that is basically telling us there is no such thing as sin. That whole concept has been imposed upon you by some mean, powerful people who just wanted to manipulate you. There's no such thing as sin. You get to make your own rules. You get to make your own laws. You get to be whatever you want to be. He's trying to convince us right now that our lifestyles, our feelings, our attractions, our desires, our works, and our deeds, and our thoughts have no need of God's law to guide or inform them, nor His gospel to forgive them. And honestly, this this one scares me a lot because this is where I see a lot of former students go. This is where I see a lot of uh, church members go, why they leave the church. Because they decide they want to chart their own path in this world. A path where they have no need of forgiveness because they are justified in whatever they do in their own mind. They embrace sin. They don't flee from it. This is a very serious issue. And frankly, again, one I have seen with many of the kids I have confirmed in the past. We must know that not just confirmation students, but all of us are susceptible to this. I don't need forgiveness because I don't think i violated anything anyone's ever told me what to do. I get to make my own rules. That's the first one. The second way the devil tries to convince us we don't need forgiveness is, is of some, somewhat similar because he appeals, again, to our pride, but in a different sort of way. Here he appeals to our religious pride. He tries to convince you to say, listen, You're not as bad as those sinners over there. You know, those ones who have left the church to pursue their own flesh, to follow their own bellies. No, 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 that's not you. You haven't abandoned the church. You haven't abandoned the people of God. In fact, you have stayed involved. You grew up in the church. You stayed in youth group. You got confirmed. You still go to Bible study. You still regularly attend. You're diligent in your prayers. And these are good things. These are very good things. However, we in our pride begin to think there's such good things because we are such good Christians. And we start to think to ourselves something like this, man, you know, I'm really pulling this thing off. I am a pretty good Christian. I'm not like those sinners who left the church and their sin. No, I do everything I am supposed to do. God must be pretty impressed with me, and if He's not, He should be. He's pretty lucky to have me around. You see, we start to get this proud mentality that we are better than everyone else around us, and we're tempted to locate our holiness and our righteousness not in the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ, but by comparing ourselves with others. And finding out that, you know what, according to our own judgments, because we're the law around here all of a sudden, we're better than they are. And notice how this kills your faith. Because it's taking your eyes off of Jesus and putting it back on you. You're not boasting in your sin, you're boasting in your religion, in your obedience. And this kills your faith, it's just harder to notice because you do it in such a religious way. This is the temptation for those of us who stay within the church. stick around here it's very easy to point fingers at those sinners over there and not pay attention to our own pride but then now there is a third way in which the devil comes to tempt us and to take us away from the forgiveness of our sins and here he doesn't appeal to our pride in any way here instead he starts to accuse us as we grovel in our shame and the devil comes along and this is what happens when after you have committed some particular sin that's sort of very weighty for you or, or a constant pattern of sins that you can't seem to break. Now, you guys don't look like people who have ever committed any real sins around here, so this might not apply to you, but, but just maybe, just maybe uh, you have. And here is, is we, we, we hear the law and we commit the sin and we recognize we are guilty. We are full of shame. And we start to feel very terrible about ourselves. Now it's at this moment that the Lord Jesus would then come to you and invite you to him for forgiveness and renewal But the devil comes along to you and tries to cut you off at the pass. and he says to you listen Jesus would never have a sinner like you if you want to be welcomed back into God's good graces You need to fix your problems You need to figure this out because Jesus would never solely his reputation with somebody like you And so you get to work and you try and, and try and earn that place back in the presence of God. You try and pursue a more righteous lifestyle only to find that it only seems to make matters worse. And the, goal, uh, the guilt just keeps getting heavier. And then the devil comes along and he got you right where he wants you. And you say, see, God really doesn't love you. If he did, this would probably have gone away by now. There must not be any forgiveness for you. You must not be among God's chosen. He must not have elected you. He must not have a place for you in his kingdom, you're much too sinful. I have people say this sort of thing to me all the time. I'm too sinful to come to church. I'm too sinful to be in the presence of this God. But it's in all of these ways that the devil seeks to take us away from the church, to take us away from the forgiveness of our sins, ultimately to take us away from Christ. But I want you to hear me today. These are all lies. All lies. Whether you are a person who is pursuing a sinful lifestyle and is proud of it, whether you are a person who is, who is boasting in your own self-righteousness in your own religion, or whether you are a person who is suffering under the heavy weight of the guilt and shame of your sinfulness, the reality is we are all in this thing together as sinners. All of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And the reality is, is that we will not be able to kick sinning until Christ comes again. All of us, in one way or another, are constantly battling with sin. Whether it's pride, or whether it's shame, whatever it is, we're always battling with these sins and, and their results. And it's at this point that the devil would have us stop the conversation. But remember now, the devil is defeated. And He is not your Lord. Jesus Christ is your Lord, and He has more to say. And the Lord Jesus would come to you today, and He would look at you, and He would say this. Even if you are that person who is ceaselessly sinning, Jesus says, I am ceaselessly your Lord, who ceaselessly forgives. In fact, this is what the Ascended Lord is doing right now. As we've said already, He is reigning over you in mercy, in love, calling you to repent of your pride, calling you into His presence in your guilt and your shame, welcoming sinners with this proclamation that He has for you that will sustain you into all of eternity. Your sins are forgiven, and the devil cannot take that from you. I forgive you, says Jesus. I will not stop forgiving you, says Jesus. It's as though he says, you cannot out-sin my forgiveness. My incarnation is stronger than your sin. My death is stronger than your sin. My resurrection, stronger than your sin. And I reign over you with a strength of mercy that cannot be overthrown by your weak and measly little sins. No matter how big they look to you, they are washed away in my blood, and I forgive you. You are always welcome home. Where I will say those words to you, says Jesus, again and again and again and again. It is in this way that the Lord Jesus reigns over us, his people, who are ceaselessly in need of forgiveness. And he is there ceaselessly to grant it to us. It is in this way, then, that Christ would answer the prayer that Paul prayed without ceasing for the Ephesians. And it is in this way that he answers the prayer that we pray ceaselessly for him, before one another, t- for one another, and for our confirmations to That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ would, in fact, give us this spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, in the knowledge of the forgiveness of our sins. Having our eyes enlightened that we may know what is the hope to which he has called us, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance with all the saints. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, there are so many ways where we are tempted to think that we cannot receive your forgiveness or we don't need to receive your forgiveness. Lord, if we are in that place of pride, we pray that you would grant us your law to break our hearts and show us our need for a Savior. But Lord, for those of us who are here today with the broken hearts, who are shattered and feel guilty and ashamed, we pray that you would let your gospel ring in our ears, that Jesus Christ comes to save sinners because he loves us and has given all things for our salvation. What a marvelous thing to know that he is the one that you seat on the throne, so that he might rule over us not with an iron fist, but with love and mercy and grace. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Having heard the word of our Lord, I invite you to please rise as we confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed.